0: The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel.
1: Electric cars. We haven't really spent a great deal of time talking about electric cars on this podcast. Uh, In this episode, we are going to, but I don't think we'll be discussing the renault zoe too heavily uh we'll be taking more of a dn more of an enthusiast's perspective on evs Uh, and then just to balance things out because this is drive nation we'll also talk about the new mclaren 765 lt which we've both been driving Um, andrew back to electric cars living the life that you do right now could you live with just an ev and would you want to
0: first, hello everybody. Second, uh, that is two very distinct questions. Um, And I'm afraid, I think the answer to both is probably, well, the answer one is definitely no, I couldn't. Um, And would I want to, I think the answer to that is at best, not yet. Um, So, you know, I live, uh, I mean, I don't live on the moon, but I live reasonably uh, remotely in the Welsh borders. Um, And the, I mean, to me, the absolute minimum job any car I have has to be able to do uh, is get to Heathrow and back uh, without me having to stop. Uh, Even for, you know, 10 minutes to fill it up with fuel, let alone however long you'd have to stop it for to um, get enough electricity in it to get it back. Um, And you can't do that. Uh, I mean, I suppose in ideal conditions, um, you know, if you got a Tesla with its biggest battery and you drove like a church mouse down the motorway and everything else, then possibly you could. But that's no good to me. You know, I want to know, when I get into a car late for an aeroplane. <laughs> remember those? Um at you know at four o'clock on a cold winter's morning and I've got the heater on and I've got the bum warmers on and the wipers are going and the air conditionings are on and I and I, I want to know that I can peg it all the way to Heathrow and all the way back again and not even have to think about whether it's going to run out of juice. Um, and you know, even if it were a taekan or anything else it's you know that journey is about 260 miles um and there is no electric car which in any conditions will do that um particularly if we're going down motorways so uh the answer to the first question is is no i couldn't um and secondly uh would i want to no i wouldn't because you know even the very best of them and, and i bow to no one in my admiration for the Porsche Taycan, which you know, I'm sure we would agree is the best electric car on on sale. It's it's as I said, it's a car I really really admire. I mean, it is technologically incredible. It is, it's quite Porsche-like in the way that it it responds. But there's still not enough of what I want in a car uh, in terms of you know how it sounds and how it responds um, for it to be you know a replacement for a daily driver with a nice you know internal combustion engine in it. Um, and the other point I guess I would also make is, you know, however hard the manufacturers try to make, um, you know, good and great electric cars. I mean, the charging infrastructure in this country, at least, is so shonky. Um, you know, I, I had a, a diesel hybrid um, E-Class um, for a bit quite recently um and so that's a car that you know you don't have to charge but just just because it's interesting i went and plugged it into a few of these ecotricity stations and and you know and and so many of them you know don't work or you have to sign up to things uh, or they're already taken and there's some bloke sitting in the um you know the service station having his breakfast um while his car's already fully charged and it's it's just you know you can't guarantee That even if you're prepared to wait however long it is to get however much electricity you need in the car that you're going to be able to do it, you know, and you and I will both know people who have been taking electric cars to shoots who have turned up hours late because they spent the time crawling around the countryside, you know, at 20 miles an hour desperately trying to find somewhere they can plug this thing in because the place they thought they were going to plug in didn't turn out to be working. And, you know, clearly that is all going to change. And these, you know, 350 kilowatt ion chargers, and if you've got a Tesla, you've obviously got a supercharger network, which works quite well, I understand. Um, you know, life will get better. But right here, right now, long answer to short question, no.
1: And no. <laughs> no and no. There we go. Pretty conclusive. Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. The charging infrastructure will improve. But for the time being, EVs, they sort of play a very specific role, don't they? And that they can do. But the moment you sort of challenge them a bit more with, you know, those one of those occasional journeys that we all have to do um, that they're not quite cut out for. All of a sudden, their usability is completely, li- completely limited. Um, I th- I, lots of them are great. You've mentioned the Porsche Taycan, which is a very good car. The Teslas, they're, you know, extraordinary in their way. Um, but the issue for me is that I think it's a long, long time before I could have only an electric car and no access to anything else. Um, you know, there are plenty that I would like to have as part of a small collection. Um, you know, I could imagine having a Honda E, for instance. I've spoken about it before, and I, I, it's a good car. I don't think it's brilliant. Um, but, I'd, you know, it'd be great to have one of those just for knocking around town. But that's all it would be, and I would have to have another combustion car, um, which sort of totally defeats the point. So I think that point where, you know, uh, one electric car covers all my needs... Um, is a long way off, and that's even before we start talking about, you know, the more emotional side of driving, which is just a totally different challenge for those vehicles altogether, isn't it? It,
0: it is. And another thing that worries me slightly about these cars is, <laughs> one of my favourite electric cars um, is the BMW i3. Now that came out, I think, in two thousand and thirteen, and I'm not sure in the seven years now you know this is a new technology isn't it so you would think we would just be light years ahead of where the, the i3 was in 2030 but i'm not sure that we are um you know it's you know if if i think about you know the electric cars which put even a sort of you know faint crease on my space let alone a massive great grin uh you know the i3 would be up there and you know a bmw um you know they did, they took the decision to do it properly and they tried to make it light and succeeded and they use some very expensive materials like carbon fibre um, in its production and you know if you go and drive you know an i3 today it's very old technology but actually it's, you know how far has the world moved from there um, you know there are lots of different sorts of um, electric cars have come out but are they actually you know in terms of for instance their you know their their, their range or the way they Provide their power. Are they actually doing the job dramatically differently to that? And therefore, is it really going to change that much more over the next seven years? Or are we still waiting for, you know, that mythical big breakthrough, which so many people have spoken about? I mean, and and, and frankly, it's what the Dyson car was going to do until, you know, he canned it. Um, you know, that was going to be a solid state car because in theory, solid state is the answer to almost everything electric. In practice, it is apparently extremely difficult to productionize. So difficult, in fact, that one of Britain's richest, most you know, inventive, creative people couldn't find um, a way to do it, despite the, you know, the enormous amount of money he dropped into it. So, yeah, um, I'm not quite sure where it's going, to be honest.
1: Well, do you know what? You're, you're absolutely right, because I think all electric cars right now, this is slightly almost ironic thing to say because they seem so innovative because they don't have combustion engines but in fact there's no innovation there no technological innovation because lithium-ion battery packs are just what they are you know their energy density and and so on it's just what it is Um, and there's nothing that can be done about that until as you say that next uh, quantum leap in technology arrives if that ever happens and that probably is solid state batteries but until then actually all anybody can do is harness the technology that's available to them right now. Um, they, can't, they can't innovate, they can't pioneer, not in drastic ways. At best, you can do what Tesla do and have very good control systems, but the batteries are just what they are at the moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I mean they are better than they, than they have been. I can remember talking to the McLaren guys when I... Um, spent a bit of time in the speed tail and talking about how the batteries for that work relative to the batteries in the P1 back in, whenever that was, 2000. I think that was also about 2013, wasn't it? And clearly the game has moved on a bit. But what they're doing is, you know, is finding more efficient, exactly what you say, they're finding more efficient ways to use what they've already got um, when actually what they need is something else.
1: Exactly. And so, yeah, so when I look at cars like the Lotus Avaya, well, for, for, for one thing, I think it looks stunning. But I also don't see the innovative pioneering engineering in that car. I just see, uh, you know, st- stuff that has existed for several years now being wrapped up into one vehicle. Um yeah. And, uh, and that's, that's kind of my issue with them at the moment. So I, I was at Hampton Court Concourse a couple of weeks ago um, and the Lotus was there with the Avaya. Um, and i I went over I had a, had a look at it, and it looks fantastic i don 't know if you 've seen one yeah in person. No, see
0: it 's a fantastic looking car I yeah. love it yeah. Re-
1: really really striking um, and Gav Kershaw was there and he 's the you know he 's the driving wizard who makes all lotuses handle beautifully um, and he's he 's tasked with doing the same to this car and I said to him, uh, so how do you apply those old lotus principles to a heavier car and he it was interesting, he heard me say. To a heavy car, and he quite sharply said, "Well, it's not that heavy, is it?" And I said, "No, no, no." I said to a heavier car because actually it is twice as heavy as other Lotus models or thereabouts. You know, um, so I, I, there seems to be a certain degree of sensitivity about that car, um, and it's it's going to be very very interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I spoke to him for a little while, and it, it's really interesting hearing him talk about it because. Actually, he is quite right. It's it's not the Avaya is not that much heavier than a nine eleven Turbo S. I think it's forty kilograms or something. Um, so relatively, spe- you know, it's just under seventeen hundred. So it's not a light car, but
0: it, it's just awesome. under seventeen horse, just under seventeen hundred kilos. That sounds awfully light to me, but maybe.
1: Well, what they've done is, you know, there is lots of carbon fiber and you know, all sorts of exotic lightweight materials. But the reason it's light is that it has a seventy kilowatt hour battery, and that is, you know, compared to the the Rimac Concept 2 and the Pininfarina, its sister car, they've got 100 plus kilowatt hour batteries. And so that's how, that's how you make an EV light. You make its battery slightly too small. Um, so,
0: so, so, so you compromise the car? Yeah, exactly.
1: And it's all, it's all they can do. It's all they can yeah. do because the batteries the thing are thing what is, they
0: are. And the thing is, going back to a point you made about you know, technology, what you're actually finding is the technology gains and where the technology is actually being deployed. Not so much... In the uh, EV drivetrain, but everything else to try and uh, mitigate the problems that the EV drivetrain brings, i.e., its weight. Um, and you know, this is something that BMW knew back with the i3, you know, seven years ago. Um, and the really clever stuff in the i3 is not its battery pack or its electric motors; it's the it's, it's the way that they constructed the rest of the car to try to keep its weight um, within manageable levers And I'm sure with the Avaya um that's the same deal uh that all the really trick stuff um has has gone into as i say you know just trying to make sure that you know you've made the best possible fist that you can of you know the 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 problem that comes with building you know any electric car which is which is simply its mass
1: yeah and and gav kershaw was saying that you know an amount of that weight can be disguised with its very clever all-wheel torque vectoring because it's got one motor per wheel so you can do super trick things with directing torque to precisely which corner you want it with much more precision than you can with a combustion engine um, and make it do quite funky things Uh, and it apparently feels incredible particularly coming out of away from an apex coming out of corners just the the precision and the crispness with which it does that says kershaw is remarkable i've felt something similar in the rimac and i can you know i can vouch for it. it does it does feel incredible
0: yeah and i felt i felt something similar okay this is a, a hybrid but um the the bit i'm talking about is, is is the electric in the in the ferrari sf90 with its electrically driven front axle its ability to um to control how the car is behaving, um, through the, the micromanaging of torque, which you can do with electricity which in a way that you cannot do with an internal combustion engine is absolutely amazing, which means you, you, know, you can drift it, you know, with, with your eyes shut. Uh, but, 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 you know, you can do that and you can say, ha ha, we're disguising the car's weight. What you cannot disguise is the feel. Um, and you know, the SF90, which is another car that I really admire and liked in many ways. um, you know it's a heavy car and you can feel it in the steering you can feel it in the brakes you can just you know, you can just feel it and the, and you well i i don't think you can engineer your way out of that that is the problem isn't it that is the problem um yeah
1: so they say the avaya will shatter hethel lap records i'm sure it will it's encouraging that they're making it steer and ride and handle properly before they switch the torque vectoring on. So, you know, it's not there simply to paper over cracks. Um, They they want it to be fundamentally a good car before they start fiddling with that stuff. But, uh, you know, I just... I want to know what you think of the principle of
0: a 2,000-horsepower road car. Well, we've been here... I mean... (sighs) I, I've, I've spoken and written at length about this um, in the past. I just, I don't understand it. Um, you know, and I wish Lotus all the luck in the world. Um, and I hope that under its new management with proper investment, it does brilliantly well. Um, but I think the Evaya is, it's a statement, isn't it? It's a symbol. It's a, hey, look at us, we're back. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I suppose you can never prejudge these things before you drive them. But I've driven electric cars with, you know, 700 horsepower. And they make me feel sick. Um, it's true, you know, for two reasons. A, they are so massively accelerative, but also the way they deliver their talk, i.e. all of it instantly. Um, it's just not very comfortable. Um, you know, an internal combustion engine, um, it's quite, you know, you don't necessarily feel it at the time. But there is some progression and your body does have some... Time to adapt um, and prepare itself for what's coming. Whereas an electric car, it just feels like it just feels like violent. And that's with a car with, as I say, you know, maybe one third of the power that the Avaya is going to have. Now, you know, the, there, there will be other issues too. You cannot, even with, you know, four wheel drive, you can't transmit 2000 horsepower to the road because you're talking about, um you know, if you do that, 500 horsepower per tyre with the accompanying torque that goes with it. Um, so, you know, you, I mean, goodness knows what speed you're going to be actually traveling at before you can feel what that 2,000 horsepower feels like. Um, and you know, to me, the problem with these cars are, um, you know, the engineers have looked at electric cars and they know that the emotional side of things uh, just isn't there because you can't change gear because it doesn't have a gearbox. It doesn't, you know, there's there's no sound worthy um uh, of the mention let alone the listening to so all you can do is make them fast and it's almost like they thought well we can do this therefore that's what we're going to do and we're just going to give it just preposterous amounts of power and you know i guess once it will be interesting um to see what that actually feels like Um, but don't tell me that is in any way a substitute for a car that is light and agile and lithe and sounds wonderful and you can change gear and really involves you in the driving experience I just you know maybe I'm completely wrong maybe I'll get in it and they will I'll have this sort of road to Damascus experience and I'll just go oh right okay now I get it now I understand what these guys are on about but you know I, I am very much a a skeptic when it comes to electric sports cars and, and and I'll tell you why um you know and I make a point of doing this in fact I had exactly this conversation with Mike Fluitt at McLaren when I drove the 765 um last week uh, and i sat down with him and we had a wide-ranging discussion about all sorts of things um and you know he absolutely acknowledges that sooner or later mclaren will have to do an ev and i said well how do you do an electric sports car and like everybody else i've asked that question to he doesn't have an answer yeah yeah yeah, yeah he, he yeah, doesn't yeah. say there isn't an answer and that there, there isn't one out there and there isn't a way of doing it um and you know they've actually got at least one maybe two electric mules um, running at the moment, um, but you know, as far as you know, right now, right here, with the technology that exists today, how do you make an emotional connection between the driver and his or her electric car? Um, there is no answer to that question at the moment, and until you know, and I've asked Porsche this question, I've asked Ferrari this question, I've asked you know the the absolute best in the business. Um, and if they don't have the answer to the question, it is because I suspect the answer, certainly today, is not out there.
1: I asked the very same question of um, the boss of Audi Sport, whose name evades me at the moment. But um, he, I said to him, is there anything you can say that will make me feel in any way sort of more confident that an electric sports car can be truly engaging to drive the way perhaps an R8 is? Um, and he, he went quiet for a, for a while. As he peered off into the distance, and then someone else from the press call just said no. Then, um, and he, you know, actually, I, he t- he ultimately he ultimately said something, but I can't remember what the answer was. Um,
0: and so, you weren't entirely convinced by it, clearly.
1: No, no, not at all. I mean, we were talking about it's the Etron GT, isn't it? There, effectively, their Taycan, which is coming soon. And he, you know, he said something about the the response you get, the precision you get from electric motors that sort of stuff and you know it's a an unsatisfactory answer really and I I sort of feel for them because all all of these guys and girls I mean because what what do you do with an electric powertrain to make it genuinely exciting and thrilling the way that a really good combustion engine could be I don't know but at some point someone's going to have to come along and demonstrate that it can be done
0: um would it, or- would it not be would it not be better just to accept that you know right here right now you can't do it and and so car manufacturers concentrate on creating evs which may you may not be able to do right now but which you know are not far away i.e evs which do have you know decent um, range and reasonable charge times and can be used as transport uh, which frankly is the vast reason is the reason that the vast majority of cars get sold um, around the world um, and then you you keep your sports cars you keep the internal combustion engines for your for your sports cars um or you find another way of doing it um you know maybe by putting hydrogen through your internal combustion engine or whatever you find a way of yeah synthetic fuels or, or synthetic fuels exactly try to find a way of you know of keeping what we've got um but addressing their fundamental problem which is the fact that they consume fossil fuels um and yeah and maybe that's the way forward you mean there are just some things that can't be done um and i'm not saying that you can't make an electric car that's truly sporting but i i'm saying i can't see how right now that you can so you know yeah isn't
1: it it really is so you've mentioned the the tycan and it's a properly impressive machine isn't it i mean if massively if if, if the range and the charging works for you then god it's just it, it would be a wonderful thing to use daily It drives really well. It's so refined. It's got the cabin quality is exceptional, Um, and there there is talk of the next generation Cayman and Boxster having fully electric variants, which will be really interesting. And that that's got to be the big test of the next gen or the first generation really of electric sports cars, isn't it? Porsche getting into it because they really understand the touchy feely aspect of driving that we're all into. Yeah.
0: I think the operative word in what you just said is variant. Um, yeah, well, yes, yeah. Th- they won't be the only ones. Um, and so that will allow Porsche, obviously, to sell Boxsters and Caymans to uh, people who just like the idea of driving a Boxster or a Cayman but aren't necessarily that interested in the actual driving experience itself. Maybe they buy them for, you know, for the image or whatever. Um, and then they will also continue to be able to sell boxes and caymans with internal combustion engines or hybrids to people who really want to drive them um and so they'll be able to keep both um camps happy while at the same time having a real world um way of testing the market um and so i think i think that's you know as long as it's doesn't cost them huge amounts in terms of developing completely separate powertrains for these cars i think that's probably quite a a sensible um way forward yeah,
1: yeah. why wouldn't you, I suppose. Um, okay, so that's electric sports cars. But what about an electric
0: Rolls-Royce or an electric Bentley saloon? Love it. Absolutely love it, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, what do you want a car like that to be? You want it to be quiet and comfortable. You know, so, you know, big, heavy, luxurious. I mean, I drove Rolls-Royce. It's got some code name, which I've lost it, it's forgotten. But a few years ago, um, Rolls-Royce did an electric Phantom. Um, based on the previous generation car which I spent a few hours wandering around um, West Sussex in and there was nothing about it I didn't think was appropriate to to a Rolls-Royce it was utterly silent it was supremely comfortable and it just delivered massive amounts of torque it was completely effortless I just think that you know for that kind of car absolutely I think electric cars are are completely wonderful and and even if you know you can't get massive batteries into them although the weight of those cars matters so much less so you probably can you know hopefully you know the key to range anxiety isn't um range itself but it's fast recharging. it's charging um, it, yeah so you know i um i had a Taycan quite recently and i actually drove it some some may remember our, uh, the podcast i did with gordon murray and i drove it from home down to gordon murray's place Dunsfold uh, quite clearly wasn't going to get back. So I rather cheekily popped into Porsche at Reading where they have 350 kilowatt chargers um, and plugged in the Taycan. And I just watched electricity just cascade into this car. Um, And and when those things are as prevalent as petrol pumps and when, crucially, the cars that we buy are able to charge at that rate, because the Taycan at the moment is the only one that can, um, then we'll be in a completely different position because then it won't particularly matter if you can only do 250 miles on a charge because, you know, in seven or eight minutes, you know, you're going to be on your way again, which frankly isn't an awful lot longer than you would be if you're filling it up with petrol. So so that's the key to it. But, you know, we are some distance off there. Yeah, at the we really are.
1: Yeah, we are. The, the technology has to evolve, also the whole infrastructure around it. Um, but I suppose,
0: it, 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 presumably, it will get there eventually, won't it? Well, it will, but but it's also, you know, uh, So, just <laughs> allow me to just, well, I mean, I, I, have, I, I have some other concerns. There are the, you know, the environmental concerns, I and mean, I am not an expert, I don't need enough, and some people may rightly go, you've got completely the wrong end of the stick here, you know, like for like, it's still much cleaner than budget, but, you know, the, not enough is known, certainly in the public domain, about, you know, the cost of uh, building cars from so much raw materials, um, you know, the cost of the, uh, rare earth metals that go into them, the whole recycling um, of them um you know there are quite clearly um you know human rights issues in terms of you know where you 're digging these metals out of in which countries um you know cobalt coming out of mines in d r c um and you know there have been lots of reports of the amount of child labor that's being used and so there are all these you know there are all these um you know, these other issues. And then also there's the cost of the electricity. Now, at the moment, uh, depending, you know, as long as you charge at home and you're on an economy seven tariff or whatever, it's not very expensive. Um, If you go and use a fast or rapid charger at a service station, you will find it's, you know, it's cheaper than petrol, but not that much anymore. And this is before the government has figured out where it's going to get its tax back from. Um, you know all the tax that it currently rakes in from petrol revenue well you know they're not going to say goodbye to that so what are they going to do Um, and how do you tax someone for charging their car at home how do you separate that charge from the charge for the electricity that they you know they have for their you know for their lights or their you know their heating or their cooking or whatever Um, and you know are we now looking at a sort of a a road charging um system where you just get charged for the electricity that you i don't know but there are you know this is a massive issue um and i don't feel that the issues are being addressed and i don't feel the public is is really being honestly kept um abreast of you know just how difficult this is all going to be um to establish and also you know, I remain to be convinced that ultimately, that electricity is is the way forward for all these sorts of reasons.
1: Be aware of anybody who defiantly states that electric cars are the silver bullet for all the issues facing transportation. Um, th- th- sadly, there are there are other factors surrounding those vehicles, and the the overall solution will look far more nuanced than just blanket EVs. I should think. Um, there'll be synthetic fuels and hydrogen and other bits and pieces, depending on how certain vehicles are used.
0: Yeah, but but ultimately, surely, if you want to create cars that are genuinely environmentally friendly, creating cars that weigh two and a half tons of whatever that is can't be the way forward. You know, you have to make cars that use very little, both in terms of what they cost uh, what they take out of the ground to build, and then what they take out of the environment to run um, and that to me just says light cars and you know and car manufacturers, whatever they say, hate building light cars because it 's so much easier to make a heavy car more powerful than it is to you know design a car to be lightweight um, and so they will need um, some encouragement either by carrot or stick um, but ultimately. You know you have these cars that weigh you know two and a half tons, and I can't see that that is any kind of future at all and i and I suspect that you know they always described hybrids as a bridging technology didn't they they you know the hybrids were the bridge from you know pure i c e s to e v s and I think that EVs themselves are another bridge um because you know surely. In the future, um, you know, hydrogen has to be the way forward. Um, I certainly don't know any other technology which, you know, given that you can now obtain clean sources of hydrogen uh, and where the emissions, the tailpipe emissions are only water. And I know that they come with all sorts of issues, but um, I think it has to be long term a better solution than, than a pure EV. But what do I know?
1: I I once spoke to a Lotus powertrain engineer, a um, really interesting guy, and he said that hydrogen is the power of the future and it always will be.
0: <laughs> it'll,
1: it'll never be the fuel of today because there are fundamental issues with it. But it's an interesting thing, you know. If, I, I've spoken to lots of people who think absolutely it will happen and it's got to happen. And others who, and engineers I mean, who think that fundamentally it doesn't work because of the energy it takes to gather the hydrogen and compress it into a way that it's usable um so it's, it's another one that's going to have to play itself out
0: but i mean that has got a lot easier i mean you know I, again i'm i'm no authority on this subject but you know hydrogen fuel cell cars have been you know around for the 30 odd years that i've been doing this um in laboratories and prototype form and that sort of thing and they've always been sort of oh yeah 10 to 15 years away and the funny thing is that they have always been and probably remain, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. But my understanding is that certainly one of the major issues always was um, a means of getting a clean source of hydrogen because you could always steam it out of natural gas. You could actually steam it out of your domestic supply to your cooker. Um, But, you know, you're still burning fossil fuel, so what's the gain there? And And the problem always used to be that getting it cleanly through wind or solar or wave or whatever... Uh, was always possible but you could never do it at a price um, which the market would be prepared to pay Um, now obviously um, huge leaps and and strides have been made in that area over time so I'm not saying we're there yet but we're certainly an awful lot closer to it now than we ever have been before Um, and so my hope is that that's you know that is is that that's where we end up but you know I don't know whether it's going to be 5, 10, 15, 20 years time from now.
1: I think there is a, a technology that exists that somehow creates hydrogen from methanol, perhaps. And, and it, it means that it sort creates it on the go. Uh, I actually don't understand how it works. But it, it, it means that you don't need to carry compressed hydrogen around, which is a huge advantage. Um, because that's just, well, yeah, there are all sorts of issues there, particularly in fast moving vehicles. Um, that, that was all quite grown up. So can I just talk about um, hypercars again, please?
0: Uh, yes okay okay no you can't okay only because i just want to make one last point about hydrogen. years ago um bmw had a fleet of seven series cars um 750 il's i think they were um and you got into one of these things and you drove and it drove like a 750 il and then there was a big button in the middle of the dashboard which you hit and then suddenly it went from being powered by petrol to being powered by hydrogen and yes part of me hydrogen is less energy dense than petrol you know there was a hit to the performance but it still behaved like a normal uh, internal combustion engine car it still sounded like a v12 you know and you know i at the time thought that was quite exciting um so you know i don't know whether they can do that in the future but i just thought i would just mention that because there is a way of putting clean sources of fuel through the engines that we love and now onto the hypercar.
1: Okay, so I've mentioned Rimac already, and there was that interesting, fascinating news story a couple of weeks ago, wasn't there, that Rimac would, in a almost a roundabout way, be acquiring Bugatti, um, which is an extraordinary thing on the face of it, because Rimac is not yet a decade old, I don't think, um, and you know, acquiring this historic old um, luxury motoring mark it's it's an extraordinary thing actually it looks like it's a bit of sort of shuffling and clever wrangling by the vw group isn't it to take a bigger stake in in rimac uh, automobilia but but, but
0: i think even that yeah, speaks volume for rimac you know that if you know volkswagen you know the largest company car company on earth um you know is so interested in that technology it's prepared to give up i mean i know that bugatti well i understand that bugatti's been for sale for a while. Um, but I mean, I think it's I think it's a really clever move for both sides because you know uh, your mate Rimac uh, gets to um, sell cars with a you know one of the greatest badges on it, and that can only be good news for him. He also gets the association with the um, with the VW brand and the credibility that comes from it. And in the meantime, VW gets to you know access to all this fantastic technology that he's been developing. So I th- I think it's a win win. I really do.
1: Yeah, I do as well, and I think given the way things have played out in that sort of very exclusive hypercar world, Bugatti, I think it, it kind of had to go electric eventually, didn't it? Which would presumably be an outcome of Rimac taking control of Bugatti. Because Bugatti's thing since the Veyron was always the most powerful cars out there. 1,000 horsepower, 1,500 horsepower when the Chiron came along. And then all of a sudden these electric hypercars have come along with 2,000 and made the Bugattis look just a little bit daft. Um, Outgunned. Yes. Yeah, and you know how much power can you get from a combustion engine reliably? Pff, probably not much more than fifteen hundred. Can you? So, th- yeah, it, it seems to me that from a, an engineering point of view, Bugatti's next play probably had to be go electric. But do people want to spend two million quid on electric cars? I, it's not been proven yet, is it?
0: Well, this is this is this is my um, mechanical watch theory. Um, You know, people will spend thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands on the most exquisitely engineered um, mechanical watch to wear on their wrist. I don't know anybody who's ever spent more than 50 quid on an electric watch. No, that's not true. I have spent more than 50 quid on an electric watch, but... um, Um, that, that didn't really you know stand I mean? up for long, did it? That comment. <laughs> no, but um, uh, there's probably somebody listening to this who's going to be up in arms about uh, about this comment. But he knows how I feel. Um, you know, electric electric watches are not inherently desirable collectors' objects because people love that sense of engineering. They feel the love and the passion and the skill and the dedication that goes into creating these tiny, perfect little mechanized jewels. Um, and you just don't get that by sticking in a battery in a you know um, and I fear that there is going to be a similar thing going with cars. Um, I think people who really, really love those sorts of things, the aficionados, will always want to feel that they have got the highest quality precision engineering at their disposal and not just something with a bloody big battery. Yeah.
1: Yeah. If if Pininfarina managed to sell all their Batistas without too much trouble, if Lotus managed to sell all their Vias without any trouble, then clearly there's a demand for that sort of car. But if they have yeah, a even, time of it
0: but even all those cars together you're not talking about a lot of cars no it's a couple of hundred isn't you it? know if if porsche make an electric 911 which they ain't going to do anytime soon believe me um and sales don't change then you're looking at something significant but you know 2000 horsepower hypercars you know there will always be people who get those sorts of things for reasons that have got nothing whatever to do with you know how they handle um they just like the idea of having them. Um so, you know, it's it'll be interesting if those cars all sell out and you know, I wish them all, you know, the very best. But I don't think it's necessarily gonna be indicative of what the rest of the world is gonna do, for want of a better phrase, going forward. Mm. <laughs> all
1: right, well that's that's where we stand on electric cars at the moment. I hope we weren't too dismissive, were we? I mean, it, it's clearly quite important that we find cleaner ways of getting around in our cars. Um, I, I don't want I, I to give the impression that we're blinkered and horribly no. old-fashioned.
0: I think electric cars could be really very exciting. Not exciting is the wrong word. Very, um, what is the right word? Effective. Um, as, as, as transport. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, that's what most people buy their cars for. Um, and, you know, electric cars, they are quiet, you know, and, you know, they do have emissions, but they're not, ge- they're, they're not generated at the car. They're generated at power stations and in, the emissions of you know what it takes to build them and recycle them and everything else but you know so you will declog city centers um, and they are quiet and they're comfortable and i think there are all sorts of reasons why electric cars are really good news and i think that you know the point here is as you said right at the beginning we're going to put a sort of dn take on these things and you know we're talking to a new audience of enthusiasts so we have addressed this entire issue from the perspective of being enthusiasts and i think as enthusiasts who love cars and love driving cars i think they remain highly problematic yes
1: yeah there you go i think that's fair enough um okay well let's forget about electric cars entirely please uh and <sighs> go on and then. talk about the mclaren 765 lt um i mean let's just do a, a 30 seconds on the 720s the car that it's based on because it's it's just such a brilliant broadly capable car isn't it um what do you reckon i mean does the idea of a more aggressive faster one sort of light a fire with, within you
0: uh, i was very lucky to run a 720s for a bit um and to me it's the best supercar on sale um yeah um just because uh, it is my old mantra about you know how much fun you have being determined by how enjoyable a car, a car is multiplied by how many however many times you feel you want to drive it and i just wanted to drive the 720s everywhere i drove it in the snow um and it was such a, a broadly defined car there was nothing which appeared to be an inappropriate use for that car um and that's why i just thought it was fabulous and frankly such a such a hard act to follow and what i would say um before whatever it is we else we say about the 765 is is that both you and i and indeed as i understand it everybody else who's been in the car so far, has only been allowed to drive it on, on the track um and so there's so much of that story we don't know the answer to um, and you know that that all by itself, as i 've said on the drive nation post uh is a reason that even if I felt it merited it, it could never get you know ten out of ten because you know there's half the story of that car remains untold so um yeah, I mean, I think you know there obviously was there was always going to be an lt version and I'm so pleased that they have um said how many they're going to build um so that hopefully, you know, and, and that it is now, well, what is it they say? They say it's sold out for this year and that they have more expressions of interest for next than they have build slots. So hopefully it will sell out um, and hopefully, therefore, it will prove to be residually um, far more robust than the last LT, the 600 hundred LT. Um, whether you need it or not, um, I don't know. What I do know is um, I found driving it around Silverstone, pretty mesmerizing um Hmm. what about you
1: yeah so i did the same thing as you um the international circuit silverstone half the grand prix track in effect um and it was it it was a good circuit actually to get to know that car because it's quite wide with lots of really fast corners that you have to commit to um and that you need a huge amount of confidence in the car to to drive through quickly um yeah and it, I mean, it did that stuff sensationally well. Um, what I really liked about it is that you could put it into a quick corner like Stowe. So you're coming down the hangar straight, almost nudging 180 miles an hour in a road car, which is bonkers, and then hit
0: well, the brakes. Given, particularly on the international circuit, you don't come onto the hangar straight yeah. that fast. Yeah. No,
1: you crawl yeah. onto it, don't you? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, amazing, really. And you hit the brakes, and inevitably, if you're me, hit the brakes too early every single time. Um, <laughs> And then you're you're carrying a huge amount of speed through Stowe, the right hander, um, but it's it's wonderful just feeling the 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 front a- the front axle just begin to scrub across the road in understeer, and you feel it bleed into that um, rather than it just happening all of a sudden. You, you know you're intuitively aware of when it's about to start doing that, which just means you put it on the limit of grip corner after corner with huge confidence, um, and yeah, I mean it sounds more sort of alive and thrilling than the 720s as you'd expect um I fir- it was slightly damp when i first drove it and we were on just p0s uh, or courses probably and but even on them the grip was stunning um and then they put it on the trafeo r when the track the track had dried a little bit and uh, the, the amount of grip that it's got the turning grip and mid corner grip it's staggering and the body is so flat it's such a stable platform um so you're never fighting its mass you're never waiting for it to settle before you can commit to a corner you just you just do it um yeah it's sensationally fast i mean it's 765 horsepower um it's up to 80 kilos lighter than a 720 which is already a very light car um yeah.
0: and we- it's only 30 kilos heavier than a senna and only 35 horsepower, less powerful yeah. than a center. But yeah. it's a third of the price. And it doesn't
1: have anything like that, the Senna's drag. Um, and so the way it, you hook fourth gear, which is when the systems give you everything, but that, you know, that's the way it feels. Um, and my God, it's lighting a rocket, isn't it? It's, it's, it's that sensation
0: of just... Yeah. <laughs> off you go even to you know jaded cynical hacks who have been lucky enough to drive a lot of really fast cars you get in that and even in the wide open space of Silverstone, which always slows things down you're sitting there thinking oh okay yep, yeah, okay well this is different um and it is yeah it is a sensationally um rapid car and i loved also i love the fact that they've dropped the final drive ratio um so you know you you're just you know you're just banging through gear after gear after gear, and it has that it has that genuinely sort of relentless feel to it doesn't it
1: yeah it's stunning, so it's up up up, isn't it and it yeah, it really pins you into the seat and the, those seats the the carbon fiber seats the with a harness in particular on track they're brilliant they really clamp you in um and you just you don't ever think about rolling around in the seat, you just feel located uh which makes a huge amount of difference um I is it is there on. a butt heading its way to the author's <laughs> conversation why would you think that I have no idea uh, a, a bit of a butt yeah there is um, and I, so I, I I drove the car last week for piston heads and we shot a video um, and you'll you know if anyone wants to go and watch that video please do and you'll see I had a I had a moment in it um, and I think I my conclusion, you might feel differently, is that the car actually does have teeth. It's got, it's got some bite, particularly when you stick it into ESC dynamic mode. Um, I, I'm told, and they only told me afterwards, which is perhaps half the problem, that in ESC dynamic mode, it actually allows you a huge amount of freedom. You can do huge peak, amount, yeah, smoky oversteer shots, you know, in in that mode. And I think I was expecting it to effectively be like a BMW M dynamic mode, which just it, it, i mean it's a that mode in in the bmw is such a safety net you can give it full clog um and the car will slide a little bit but it'll always catch it every time and so I, I was just expecting to be able to behave like a a bit of a hooligan and just give it some welly and let the systems do the work but actually they did nothing whatsoever um they might as well have been off entirely um and yeah so it's coming onto the hanger straight out of the slow corner um and it just snaps oh,
0: yeah, I, I, okay that, and that's tricky isn't it because you've got that undulation so the car sort of goes like as you're turning and, and you're getting back on the power um yeah it, it yeah yeah I, I i know exactly what you mean
1: and i so the, the the rear end went and i was twirling away at the wheel doing everything i could um and i was just thinking it's all right i mean dynamic mode the systems will cut in any, sec- any second any second oh, and they haven't they haven't they haven't um it, so it was a it was a bit of a fright um I was I had Paul O'Neill in the car. He was the, in, the instructor and he so he's the British touring car pundit. He's he's a, a touring car race winner, isn't he? And he's also won British GT. He's he's a great lad and clearly a very capable driver. And the moment it happened, we both just and you know, nothing severe came of it. We we both just wet ourselves laughing. It was <laughs> it, it was so out of the blue, so unexpected. Um and it's you know, you know I think an eight hundred horsepower rear drive twin turbo supercar. Perhaps it's inevitable that it's got it's got teeth. Um, no, I don't, it's, it's
0: pretty... I don't think it is. I don't think it is inevitable. Well, th- um, well, that's
1: that's exactly what I was gonna I was gonna say because the the Pista actually is a pussy when you really start flinging it around. But the one that I remember most is the P one. Um, I remember driving it at, at, at Anglesey. So it's a it's probably a heavier car actually, isn't it? Fourteen hundred kilos or something. But it's a more powerful car. And partly because it had that torque fill from the electric motor, you it was much more progressive when it started to break away under power. And I just remember skidding it around like it was nothing. Um,
0: yeah, and, it's interesting, isn't it? I don't, I don't recall that from P1s at all. I can remember, I can remember that with the LaFerrari. I, I was always quite in, intimidated by... Listen to us talking about this. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But, <laughs> you know, um, but, but I can remember being quite intimidated by the P1 um, and not actually being that comfortable... Really? Ho- hoofing it around but you know everybody's experience is different and so much of this is is you know down to individual conditions you know tire condition um whether you've got your head screwed on the right way that particular morning or not i mean yeah so i mean it is i mean i, I completely understand what you say um and i think the car can be justly criticized um for that trait which i didn't have i never had a moment when i was thinking ooh, okay um yeah. this might be getting away i didn't have that but I, I was certainly busy at times i mean properly busy and actually more at that particular corner that you um had your um moment at than um than any other um and I think it is right, at least, to have the conversation about whether a car like that actually needs a limited slip differential in it or some description. Because, as I'm sure lots of people listening to this know, you know, McLarens, all McLarens, you know, uh, come with open differentials, um, and they're quite cleverly controlled electronically. But you know, whereas um, in something like a Pista, or frankly, any other comparable car, um, you can rely on the on, on the diff to help you establish the drift and keep your footing and keep it stable and uh you don't have that in the mclaren and it is um it does definitely keep you on your toes and what you find is you find yourself driving the way the car the way the car wants to be driven not necessarily the way that you want to drive it um, now for me I I didn't find that particularly problematic because I found driving it the way it wanted to be driven so exhilarating, um, so much fun. You know, not necessarily for sort of yeehaw, look at me, I'm going sideways um, reasons, but perhaps slightly more cerebral reasons. Um, But nonetheless, no less fun for that. I thought the car was absolutely epic and um, in the conditions I drove it in, which were absolutely dry and quite warm, um, I thought its breakaway characteristics were um certainly quite feisty um but not um you know malicious or problematic um per se um but you know i, I let's put it this way uh, i completely understand uh why you know uh you feel the way that you do i don't quite feel that way myself um but you know my perspective and my experience was slightly different but it's certainly it's certainly a question mark
1: yeah, sure. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I did have a, a moment in it. Sadly, these things never look quite as uh, epic on camera as they feel in, in the moment. So, yeah, it won't look like uh, a huge, terrifying incident, but it, it sort of felt that way in the moment. But that aside, ugh, yeah, I mean, the, the basic formula is so right, isn't it? It's, it's actually quite significantly lighter than a 720 with more power, A more focused chassis and aero setup, and drive it on a quick circuit like Silverstone, and it is—it's spellbinding. It really is. Yeah,
0: properly. I mean, it's what I found a bit frustrating is you know what you say about the lightness is so right. When you drive that car, I just think to myself, I'm driving a light car, and I love that feeling. It's what I was saying about the SF ninety. You know, when you drive the SF ninety, however clever it is, you know you're driving a heavy car, Um, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm not kidding, if the curb weights of a 765 five LT and a standard um, SF90 weren't, you know, quite close to half a ton apart. Um, and, you know, what I found, what I would love to have done is just taken it. There's a great little road route around Silverstone um, that I've been using for years, and I would just love to have just whacked it around that. I did, I can remember when we drove the 675 five LT, which was also done at Silverstone and also on track only, and I did sort of beg and plead and say, could I just take it out um, for a quick run around the road? And they went, yeah, all right. Then. Um, and I did. And to me, that just that just changed everything. I suddenly thought, wow, you know, this is you know, I thought it was just a really good track car. I'm thinking, well, the problem's going to be you get it on the road and it's going to be, you know, uncomfortable and difficult. And, you know, uh, and it wasn't at all. Um, and I don't know whether the 765 five LT is going to be cut from that cloth or not. And I won't know it until I drive it on the road. Now, maybe, you know, McLaren's PR people are being very clever and they're thinking to themselves, well, here's two bites of the cherry. We'll let them drive it on the track and we'll get a load of coverage for that. And then we'll let let them drive it on the road and we'll get another big chunk out of that. Um, and, you know, I guess that as a strategy is, is, is entirely defensible. But I'd, I'd just love to know... Um, what it's like in 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 on, on the public road, because that's where most of them will spend most of their time um, and we don't know the answer to that question yet,
1: yeah, okay, so there we go. We'll have to come back to the mclaren seven six five lt when uh when one of us has driven it on the road one last comment i I wish that they'd built five fewer of them because they're building seven hundred and sixty five and I wish they gave it five horsepower less and called it the seven sixty lt because Seven six five LT and six lt five LT. They're just too. <laughs> they're just too similar. My mind is not quite, uh, you know, broad enough to be able to <laughs> sort of separate the two of them. It's just, it just seems a bit too close. Um, yeah. Anyway, minor minor concern. Um, okay, well, they let, let's let's leave that on there. Uh, varied that one, I think. Um, electric cars and LT McLarens. But there we go. That's the way we like it. Um, and remember, everybody, please do rate the podcast and leave a a glowing review wherever you get your podcast that basically a podcast with lots of good reviews and ratings gets uh you know so it gets dragged to the top by the the podcast platform and more people find the podcast then it really really helps so please do that um check us out on instagram at drive nation underscore have a look at us on patreon patreon patreon.com forward slash drive nation and bung us a couple of quid a month um and or more well okay yeah (laughs) <laughs> Although we'd be very grateful for
0: for whatever you decide, to we'd to be pledge. very grateful for a couple a couple of quid a month. I just wouldn't want anyone thinking that there yes. was somehow some, cow, some <laughs> kind of limit, limit on the amount of money that they can that they can spend on us. Um, no. Yeah, well, whatever whatever you think we're worth would be <laughs> greatly, greatly appreciated. Absolutely, yeah. And
1: thank you everyone for listening. And we will be back with you again next week.
0: I look forward to it. Goodbye. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel.